This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Thursday morning. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kim, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 8th, episode 1869. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite You never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Isn't it great to start the show with applause for you? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Which is that's hilarious my, because you're the most alarm. humble person oh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says I'm so humble. Yeah, because you are. Thanks, ba- thanks for I'm coming back. For humility. <laughs> Not a problem. The second Thursday of every month, Mary hangs out here with us, talks about training. We geek out on fixing horses, fixing people, training horses, doing cool stuff with Mustangs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so what has Mary Kitzmiller and her um, herd of indeterminate size been up to since we spoke last um, well, it's about to get temporarily bigger because, oh, no! uh, I know, right? Um, well, I did sell a few. Uh, I sold a really nice horse to a great family. Uh, he's gone, gone to be a trail horse. I found a good home for the Belgian that I rescued from the kill pin <gasps> last year. Yeah. Yeah. So he's gone on to a good home. Um, so, so I'm, I'm growing, I'm maturing and, and thinning out the numbers, but, uh, I signed up for the, uh, Lexington, Kentucky Mustang makeover mm-hmm. and I pick up for that in a few weeks. Oh boy. You, you just can't get enough of these Mustang makeovers. Can you? I know. I always say, well, I'm not going to do one this year. And then I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. But- as, as we get one month out from it, you go, oh, I'm just not going to do that next year. So stressful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> then I get the itch. I have to do it. Um, well, and I went to the Lexington one last year. It's at the horse park, which is awesome. Um, I went there. We had a booth and it looked really cool and fun. So I thought I would sign up for it this year. But I have to go pick up my horse. In Lebanon, Tennessee, which is ten and a half hours away, wow. so that's like a they couldn't find yeah. one closer. No, you know this one. They only had one pickup, and I'm moaning and groaning, having to drive ten and a half hours. But there are people who signed up for this thing from California, Massachusetts, and oh my gosh, um, you know it's it's one thing to take a domestic horse on that hall. I mean, that's, that's pretty stressful enough, but a wild one, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm going to make the trailer nice and cozy and he's going to have plenty of room to move around and, and everything. Um, and, uh, I actually have one of the auditors who's helping me make the trip, oh, which is going to be really fun. Yeah. 
yeah. Actually, she's the one uh, who's calling in today with her question, Megan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, we'll let everybody know what's going on in the show today in case you want to tune out. No. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, Megan Aline is going to be calling in, and she's got a question for Mary because it's all about Q&A here on Mary's show. And then uh, we'll have a little break with our usual song. And we're going to be speaking later on with Kevin Graham, who is the 2018 Mustang Magic Champion. So it, it looks like we kind of have a Mustang theme going a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can never have too many Mustangs. Mustang-themed stuff. Mustang-themed stuff. Well... Mustangs have really brought to the fore um, how to get horses onto a good start when you have a blank slate. And that is, it's a very popular way to go with horses, whether you're buying a baby horse, uh, folding out your own baby horse, or getting a Mustang, or perhaps adopting a feral horse from a rescue uh, organization. And you see a lot of that. And one of the things that gets talked about a lot in training, especially when you're training from scratch, is something called learned helplessness, which is a, that's actually kind of a scientific term. Learned helplessness can happen in humans, it can happen in dogs, it can happen in horses, it can happen on purpose, it can happen accidentally. And a post on Facebook kind of sparked a conversation about this. So uh, Mary, why don't you explain to us, uh, tell us about the the, the post and then kind of explain to us what the heck learned helplessness is and isn't. Um, yeah, so it was really interesting uh, article or the blog post that was actually shared by uh, Shauna Karish, who's been on the show, wonderful clicker trainer and doing amazing things in the horse world. And um, it got shared and read so many times that you you can't even find the article anymore. So you'll have to go off of my word. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it brought up a really interesting point in horse training and something that's probably not talked about enough is this concept of learned helplessness. So in a nutshell, it's this phenomenon where the horse is presented with so many stimuli or he's limit so limited in his choices of how to react to something that he just says, you know what, in order to survive, I'm going to shut down. I'm just going to close down shop, shut off all the lights, and just take it. Let it happen. Whether that's being desensitized by something or standing tied for long periods of time and realizing he's never going to get out of that situation, they just kind of turn off. And I've seen this a, a fair bit in the performance horse world, and I've actually seen it. I've seen trainers point to a horse who's clearly just shut off, and they're like, look how quiet and respectful he is. He's, you know, he's so well behaved. And uh, so it's actually something that you might have in your horse that you don't realize that he's not really accepting. He's not, it's not that he's just being a good boy and he's being respectful and he understands it's that he's just done turned off, turned off all the lights. And so you have to be careful when you're training a horse. I see this most often in desensitizing and in the way that I was taught to desensitize a horse was just to flood them with something till they stop. If I'm throwing a rope at him, throw the rope vigorously and rapidly and go with the horse until he stops moving and just quits doing anything. And um, so when you have a horse that's kind of gotten into that mode, you'll have a horse that's quiet, but there's not much else to him. He doesn't have a lot of life to him. He might not be enjoying his job. Um, he's just not engaged. So 
I thought that was a really interesting um, discussion. And I thought that's a discussion we should be having. You know, how do I get my horse quiet and respectful without it being a process of he's just given up on life? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And one of the examples um, that really got me thinking that was used in the article, uh, the, the picture on the article was really compelling. It showed a bunch of horses tied out on what's called patience poles. And if you don't know what a patient's pole is, it's simply a pole that's cemented in the ground. It's got a little chain and a clip that you clip to your horse's halter. And they they use ball bearings, that little chain. It's like a little arm at the top of the pole with this chain hanging down. And it swivels. So you tie the horse to it and the horse can't get anything wrapped around the pole, which is dangerous. And the horse can move because as they move, the little arm swivels around with them. And a lot of people use this in training young horses. I've used them at many of the barns I've worked at. And um, uh, the horse just learns, okay, the horse can move around. It's more difficult for them to pull back on a patient's pull. And they just learn how to tie. Um, so a lot. some people use a patient's pull of, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Um, I'm going to tie you up here all day in the sun and you're going to be humble by the time I'm done with you. And I wanted that, that thought is what went through a lot of people's minds reading the article. And a lot of the comments I saw was, Oh my gosh, these are so cruel. Or I live in cowboy country and I see these all the time and it just makes me sick. Or we have, you know, we have laws about abuse to dog and cats. Why aren't there laws for horses? And that kind of, I found it very interesting. And I actually got a little worried when I saw that kind of rhetoric because it's not the pole that is evil or even the practice of tying a horse that is evil. It's, it's the per it's the person using it. So the pole is just a tool. And if we start thinking in terms of, Oh my gosh, you tie your horse for a long period of time. You're so cruel. We need legislation. You should stop doing this. We're going to be in danger of really limiting what we can do with horses in our society. Because if I use that thinking, I could look at any horse that someone's riding and say, oh my gosh, you put metal in your horse's mouth. You are evil. You use a contraption that keeps your horse's mouth closed on this piece of metal. That's just terrible. You shouldn't ever do that. And I worry when I see this kind of thought process because you can follow that to this conclusion of, well, riding horses is evil. Keeping them in stalls is evil. Um, Keeping them away from their friends is just terribly evil. Ha- you know, hauling them to shows. And I see these comments a lot from people. You know, I'll see a horse do a really cool thing on a video and and someone, usually a non-horse person, will come in and say, oh, you're just using him for your ego and entertainment. That is horrible. Yeah. And, well, and I, yeah. That, and it is worrisome. Um, and as you said, many, many times, but not always, those, the folks that are, are creating comments to that effect, um, have no point of reference. So I think what we, uh, a really constructive way to continue this conversation is um, if you're using a patient's poll, let's just, we won't limit it to patient's poll. The process of tying your horse for a period of time, um, extended period of time versus for 15 minutes while you tack him up for the purposes of teaching him a valued skill how can it be done properly versus 
the way that improperly that is is ineffective and will create learned helplessness how can we how can people use that system and that tool constructively because it can be valuable i'm guessing yes it's and and for someone like me it's incredibly valuable because um i don't live in a vacuum where everything's perfect and sunny nothing happens and my horses never get sick or my horses are never hauled yeah, yeah. Aww, I mean, as much as I try to it. make that. Yeah. <laughs> and my horses don't live in a vacuum. And not as much as I like to keep every horse that I come across, um, I do know that it's a possibility my horse will go to a new home, a new environment. So I have to prepare them for the real world um, in, in a way that's going to be fair to them, fair to everyone around them, keep everybody safe. And one of the things I think is a very valuable behavior is not only to stand tied, but if I tie you somewhere and it's somewhere where the environment is real frenetic and crazy and lots of stuff is going on and I have to leave you for a little while, you're going to be okay. You're not going to flip over backwards. You're not going to kick someone walking by. Um, you're not going to break your halter and go running all over the place. Um, I recently heard about a horse at an endurance race that broke free from the trailer and broadsided a car, ah! just a parked car and killed itself. And that, you know, that's just the reality. It's, it's very scary. It's a very real danger. So, it's not just that they can, I can tie them up just long enough to groom them and pick out their feet. They have to be able to stand tied and stay tied no matter what's going on. Now, the wrong way to do this, and I see a lot of people do this, they think, again, the tool is not, is neither negative nor positive, unless you're using like a bicycle chain bit. That's pretty inherently stupid. Don't use that bit. Um, <laughs> but most <laughs> tools are just a neutral piece of equipment. Um, so you can't just take a young colt who doesn't have much tying experience and tie him up and say, well, I'll see you tomorrow and expect that to do your training for you. Um, in, in most cases, I've seen horses that have been tied for hours and hours and hours that are still pawing, still kicking, still screaming, still horribly upset. And now you've created a very permanent problem. It's going to be very hard to fix. So. How do I get my horse to t stand quietly for long periods without just destroying his spirit? Um, well, I teach him on the ground. Here's some things you're going to need to know when you're tied up. And so I work him online. Um, I move his feet. I, I, I put him in a lot of scenarios where he will feel pressure from that halter behind his ears. And the answer to that is come forward. Because if I tie, if he doesn't understand that and I tie him up for the first time and he pulls back and he feels that halter tighten behind his ears, a horse has never been taught, their first experience, their first instinct is going to be explode. I need to get out of this now. I'm going to flip over backwards. I'm going to break this halter. I'm going to hurt myself trying to get free from this tie. So I teach him on the ground. When you feel this pressure behind your ears, come forward, relax. Everything's good. I reward a lot. I encourage a lot. Um, lots of kind of stuff like that. Um, I make sure they're very good on the halter and lead rope. I can pull on that halter from every direction and the horse understands no matter what, when you feel that pressure, get once they do that, then I start the process of tying. And I have a great environment for this. I have my indoor arena, which is very small, but very nice. And I've got ties all along my walls. And when it's the ho that's horse's first time to tie, I use uh, a quick release tying device that I've talked about on the show before. They're not a sponsor, but I love them. It's called the clip. I clip the horse up with that. 
and I will go get another horse out. So that horse is in the arena. They can see me. They can see another horse. And I'll leave them tied maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes and then put them away. And that just becomes a habit. Um, It's also great for your horses that uh, get really excited to go back to the barn after the ride. If you just build this small, you know, start small, build this little habit of when when we're done riding, we're not necessarily done. You're going to rest and relax, tied up for a few minutes. Then you go back to your stall. It really helps to eliminate that behavior of, I've got to run to the gate. i got to get out of here. We're done. I'm going to go eat my breakfast. I'm going to go eat my dinner or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I make a habit of you never have um, dinner or breakfast after the ride. I always feed the horse early and give them their digestion time and then go riding or their dinner or breakfast gets delayed by several hours because there's nothing more demotivating for my horse personally than knowing a meal is at to be had when we're done. Nothing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so it just, it just starts this little, this little so routine. How, how often do you increase the time increments? Does it depend on how the animal is reacting? So let's have a scenario here. I love scenarios. We have um, little little Coco goes out and you're indoor and she gets tied for 10 or 15 minutes each time. And uh, you're out there riding around on Guthrie. At what point or what behaviors are you looking for from Coco that signal it's time for Coco to be tied a little bit longer? Um, usually I, I just kind of increase it by a minute or so every day. And I, I try my best. It's not always possible to untie them in a moment of calmness. So if the horse, if I tie the horse and some of them, you know, their best friends in the pasture, three pastures over and they know it, they, some of them right off the bat will be a little pacey and calling out and a little nervous. I'm not going to wear that horse down for six hours waiting for them to be quiet, but I will just keep an eagle eye on them. And if there's a split second where they just kind of stop for a moment, okay, you're untied. Whether that's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, um, depends on the horse. And so it's a little bit of a balance game. You tie a young horse too long, they're going to start freaking out. You untie them in a, when they're in a fit of anxiety and they're going to realize, well, Anxiety is good. Scream my face off. Yeah. Yeah. And usually I don't have that big a problem with it because if I've done my work session for the day correctly, if I've if I've done good by that horse when we train, they should be in a pretty good state of mind when I tie them. Um, so I'm I'm not I'm not going to take a, a colt fresh out of the barn on a cold day when everyone's running around the pasture and they and, haven't yeah, had any kind of work and then failure. just tie them up. And say okay, <laughs> I'll see you next week. Yeah. So um, if we were to if we were to flip this scenario around a little bit and let's say you got a horse in for training, what is referred to nowadays as a remedial horse, one that has already not necessarily learned to break things and leave town, but a horse that's already got a habit of. Uh, when when being tied and left alone, in other words, you're not directly interacting with him, picking his feet or or brushing him or something, tends to be fussy and pacy and pawy. What do you have any suggestions on the first steps towards towards teaching that horse that you know hanging out, being tied up, isn't such a big deal? 
Um, yes. And this is a tricky scenario. And when I see all too often, very preventable problem that has now grown into something that is just ingrained in their mind. And when you have these issues, whether it's being fussy tied up or cribbing or pawing or pacing, um, usually what causes these issues in the beginning, you know, whether it's the horse's environment or poor training or lack of preparation, There's a period where you can fix this, and then there's a period where this behavior has worn such a strong pathway in that horse's mind that even when you fix everything, that behavior still remains. There's a great example of this in one of Temple Grandin's books about a wolf. Um, She went and visited this wolf sanctuary, and this wolf, particular wolf, had been taken out of a horrible situation, had been in a small cage all its life, and had just learned to pace, you know, just because it had been trapped and locked up. And where this wolf was now, it had friends, it had good environment, it had space to roam, and it still was wearing this dirt path into the ground, pacing by the fence. And she even went out there and just watched it. And she sat down and stuck her legs out in this wolf's path and it would just walk over her legs. And that's that's a really tough problem to solve because you fixed you fixed everything that was causing this animal to have this behavior but it's still happening. I see this all the time with horses. Um, Horses pace and you finally get it out on a nice pasture with good forage and friends and they're still at the fence pacing, wearing this rut into the ground. So when that happens, I have to get creative. Um, First of all, A good groundwork program never hurt any horse, and that can do a lot to remedy the situation. Teaching the horse how to give to pressure, move its feet, how to relax, creating a bond with the horse that way can often really help the behavior. The next thing I do, and a lot of people will not agree with me, is I will teach that horse to hobble. Now, again, going back to this, oh my gosh, you're going to make it have learned helplessness. Yeah, if I just say I'm going to slap some leather hobbles on the horse and let it struggle until it can't struggle anymore and then give up, that's not what I want to happen. Um, There's two ways to get to a horse's mind. You have moving their feet and restricting movement in their feet. Tying is also a way of restricting movement. So what I do is I methodically teach the horse to hobble. And this is good practice for any horse, no matter what you're doing. You don't have to be a cowboy to to make use of this. So I teach teach the horse by putting lead ropes around his legs and gently picking up his feet with the rope and teaching him to give all directions. And then I do the same thing I did with the tie. I work the horse and then I put a soft set of hobbles and I leave the horse in the middle of a nice soft arena for about five minutes. And if I've done my job, they won't move. If they're struggling, I've missed something. I don't want them to fight. Um, I just want that horse to realize, oh, okay, something's on my feet and I've been taught to give to pressure. So the way to give to this is just to stay still and relax. And then I build up the duration of hobbling. And then what I will do is I will start tying the horse with a set of hobbles. And it's not, I swear, it's not trying to trap the horse. I'm not trying to make it humble. I'm just changing the routine. I'm I'm giving them something else to think about, something so, else to do. And my guess, I'm going to take a wild guess at this if you are doing your training properly and you're using some tools the hobbles being one of them as you progress through this what's going to happen is the horse that pawed when he was tied or paced at the fence is going to literally grow out of the hobbles in that you will 
work your way to a point where he, he, he understands what they are. They are helping him break that cycle of, of stereotypic behavior. And then you're going to be able to take them off because now that you've broken the cycle, he can go out there and go, oh, wow, I can do something different in my field. That is exactly Yay, right. It's- I win! Yeah! Go start sparkles! <laughs> See, I think that's the difference between um, hobbles are evil versus hobbles are a useful and productive training tool for the horse's um, well-being. The hobble isn't the lesson. The hobble is the tool because eventually they come back off. <laughs> yes, and you're what you're like training wheels in your horse. Yeah, and, and what you're building in your horse is this concept of emotional control, which is another thing that's not talked about often enough. Emotional control in a horse is, um, let's say, I take my horse to a parade on a cold day, and I haven't ridden him in a week. Oh, not that's a, not a good idea. Already not a good scenario. But but let's say this is one of my good horses I've put a lot of training on, and I'm asking a lot of him to, to do this. So he's left home. He's left his friends. It's really cold out. He's hungry. What's going on over here? There's tons of stuff going on. That horse, if I've developed him well enough, will know, you know what? This is a little scary. I'm a little anxious. There's stuff going on, but I have control of myself. And I know through the groundwork that that is the best, that's the best way to be. And, and the hobbles do the same thing. You, you know, a little bit of restraint here and there, building the duration on that, teaching the horse, not just leaving him to his own devices, just teaching him how to react. And he's going to say, you know what? Sometimes I'm a little anxious, but I have control of that. There you go. See? So it all, it all kind of works together and it's training. And I think the, the thread throughout this, for my takeaway at least, is this is all a training process where the human is engaged with what his horse is doing and learning versus a tool used improperly. Invariably, the human is not engaged. You put the tool to use and then you walk away. You start the lawnmower, put a brick on the throttle or gas pedal, and then walk away. This is not a Roomba. It's a horse and it's a hobble. Or it's a pole. You can't. It's not a Roomba. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all in the mind and heart of the trainer who's working go. with that tool. So yeah. So the takeaway from me from this is there are more effective methods. There are less effective methods to train. Um, don't take every tool at face value unless it's a bicycle chain bit, and then you may. You have my permission. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just not a good bit. Um, it you know it's it's. Uh, it's what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your horse's mind that matters the most. Cool. Well, and and moving of feet comes up all the time, or not moving of the feet. And uh, our auditor, Megan Aline, was very kind to volunteer to come on the air with us. So we're going to give her a holler here on the air and surprise her. And uh, hopefully chat about her question. Run, ring. I, w- I want to get that sound effect from Lily Tomlin. One ringy-dingy. Too ringy dingy. Oh my gosh, it's a little bit before my time. I hate to admit, <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> oh, you need to go. You need to go to YouTube. Lily Tomlin, uh, laugh in, or Lily okay, Pe- yeah, got to do that. Okay, Megan, answer the phone, please. We're we're not early. Honest, we aren't. Um, that was interesting. Your point about um, two ways to get to the horse's mind: moving the feet. And restricting the movement of the feet. I think restricting the movement of the feet might be a good topic to talk about next time. 
Yes, and there's, it, there's a whole automatic world. Automatic voice message system. Oh, three, oh, one, no. nine, three, one, zero, six. There we go. Oh, you know what? I gave you the wrong number. You gave me the wrong number, Mary. Okay. Okay, now okay, you have to type it in on. the chat. Don't say it on the air, please. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so my my whole computer shut down when I tried to copy and paste something, so I had to do this by memory. So, Barry, so who knows who we called? That would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's ready and she's waiting. All right, well, let's my give bad. her a call again. So it, um, while I'm calling Megan, um, maybe talk a little bit more about the difference the diff- why you would use restricting the movement of the horse's feet um so number one uh w- you know we had all those great reasons i talked about earlier build emotional control it's a valuable skill um but also safety uh i will tell a really quick story um about a stallion a reigning stallion that i had who was hobble trained. I hobble trained him. He understood hobbles. He was in this um, pipe fencing area that I had and another horse had gotten out and had gotten into the pin next to his and they had, they were fighting over the pin and yeah, exactly. Um, And, and where they were fighting, it was these two swinging metal gates that met in the middle and they had a chain wrapped around it. And the only way I discovered this had happened was I was walking along my property and this, this pin is kind of back in the corner where I can't see. And I just kept hearing this rhythmic clang, 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 clang. I'm like, what the heck is that? It was very light. And I, I just, it was, you know, I could barely hear it. I'm like, something's going on. I go over there and this, this stallion had put one of his front feet through the metal gates, had gotten it wedged in there and it was above the chain, which is about, I don't know, three feet off the ground. So he was standing there like, he looked like he was in the highest point of Spanish walk with his foot through this gate. I have no idea how long he was there and all he was doing, he was very calm. He was just gently pulling his foot back till it made a clank noise and then giving, pulling, giving, pulling, giving, pulling, giving. Now that easily could have been a situation where he pulled his foot right off in panic. And that I swear, you know, I can't prove it a hundred percent, but I swear that horse understanding Uh, how to give to something around his feet and how to stand still and relax into that pressure saved his life or, or at the very least saved him from a bad injury. And he, he stood perfectly calm. I could have gotten hurt. He stood perfectly calm while I ended the gate. He had no hair off of his foot. He was not, he was still sound at the end of it. No swelling, nothing. So that to me was proof that, okay, Hobbling is not always bad. And even if you're one of those people who bristles at the thought of hobbling, going through the process to get there, teaching them that when you put a soft cotton rope around their foot and give it gentle pressure, they simply give. So so often you see a horse, as soon as something gets around its leg or it somehow or another manages to step on its lead rope, instant panic occurs. Every horse should learn those simple, basic. It's like teaching a dog to sit and teaching a dog to come. They're lifesavers. Yeah, even if you go to the process of, okay, now I can put hobbles on you. We've got, because that, before that is a lengthy process for me. Even if you do that process and nothing else, it's still a really good lesson. There we go. I think we might have Megan on the line. Do we have Megan on the line? Good morning, ladies. Yay! Hello! Yay! I'm glad whoever had the other number didn't answer. That would have been interesting. 
<laughs> Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have a question for us for today. What is your question? My question is, my lovely, wonderful Saddlebred mare is extremely enthusiastic when we first start riding. Um, so trying to, but she's a bit frantic in her enthusiasm. So trying to get her to be, uh, become more focused, like I don't want to discourage the forward movement or the, um, the wanting of feet movement, obviously, um, but definitely trying to get it so she becomes more focused um, to help with that. Because we try circles and, <clears throat> excuse me, changing, um, changing directions and, you know, rollbacks and all that sort of stuff, but trying to figure out what is the, the what, what are good exercises to help focus that franticness. Oh, so she's perfect. This goes perfect in line with the conversation we've been talking about, about building emotional control, um, getting your horse quiet and relaxed without creating learned helplessness, which is where the horse just gives up. Um, so let me ask you, how is she to get on? Does she stand still when you mount? Yes. So she did used to. So we've worked very much on uh, before we get on of, you know, relaxing and not just immediately going into the ring and, you know, into the indoor and having her freak out and kind of just building calmness. And we've gotten very uh, good progress in that. Um, but it's just as soon as we get on, she's, she's very excited and ready to go. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So she's, so you worked and that's, that's a great place to start because I will get a question oftentimes of, oh, my horse rushes in the canner or they kick out during lead changes. And if, if I keep asking questions and I get back to the root of the problem, I'll find out the horse won't even stand still for the person to get on. I'm like, well, there you go. You're not starting off right. And so your lead changes aren't going to work if you can't, you know, it, it doesn't seem connected, but it is. So that's really good. You worked on that. And I would continue to work on that kind of thing. Um, what's the okay. first thing you do? When you get on her, do you make her stand? You walk her out? Do you go left? Do you go right? What's the very first thing you typically do? I usually make her stand while I get situated and make sure that I'm on nice and securely because she does tend to be a bit spooky. Um, so I make sure that she's there. And then once she finally kind of stands and doesn't, um, you know, she'll throw her head up or jig her head a little bit. And then once we're kind of calm and then we immediately just walk out. Okay, and she's she's okay with walking out, or is is that does she get pretty frantic trying to just walk her out? Uh, yeah, she she usually tends to um, be fairly quick. Um, she's definitely very forward, um, but she does it in the typical fashion where she'll pull um, using her front end versus push using her back end. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that I would do, and this is a great tip that was given to me by a uh, reigning trainer, Greg, uh, Craig Johnson, who's been on the show a couple of times. And um, we get this same kind of thing in reigning horses a lot because that horse usually understands if he's a, if he's a well-trained reigning horse that when we ride today, we're going to be doing fast spins, lead changes, running running as fast as you can, large circles, sliding stops, rollbacks. And after a while, the horse knows what the deal is. And so sometimes they start getting really nervous right at the beginning because they know all this stuff's going to happen. And you can't, 
lie to the horse and say, I'm not going to do that today. I mean, they, that's part of their job. They know they're going to have to have energy and quickness and, and you're training that. So, so the horses can get very energetic from the get go and it's just hard to get their mind. So one of the things he does, it's a very simple thing, but it works like wonders is he has a rule with his horses. The first step is never forward. Um, so when Ooh. he gets on his horse, yeah. Now you have to, you know, you have to do it within reason. If your horse is explosive, I wouldn't try to pull him backwards really quickly because you might end up in trouble. Um, but the first step is always, it could be a, a side pass to the right or left a couple of steps. It could be a little bit of okay. a backup. You could move their hips one way or the other. You could move their shoulders one way or or the other, but just, and it doesn't have to be super fancy. You don't have to just immediately break into a half pass. Um, but the first step, yeah, the first step is never forward. So that really helps okay. to eliminate this. Once you get on the horses, like we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. It's a very simple thing. A uh, simple habit. You can start with your horse. Me, me, me. I'm holding my hand up. Oh yes. Me, okay. Me, me. So coming at this from a completely English point of view, because what I know about Western things you could put into put it put into a shot glass. So from what I'm taking is that first step should never be straight ahead. Yes, got it. So I I get on my it horse, um, I maneuver. sit down, take a deep breath, pick up my reins, and we're going to take three steps um, towards two o'clock on my watch hand if my horse is facing twelve. Yeah, yeah. Some, At its yeah, simplest some, point. <laughs> yes, you can move the shoulder. A, you could do a quarter uh, turn on the haunches and okay. then walk forward. It doesn't have to be this drawn out, lengthy, elaborate thing. But it just kind of interrupts this thought process of the horse. What tends to happen is the horse is like, I know we're going to trot and canter. We're going to do this and that and the other. So when you get on, as you're trying to get your foot in the other stirrup, that horse is like, it just starts walking off. Like, let's go. We got to do the, all those things that we usually do. So if I do something unexpected, um, you know, for five days in a row, I might make our first steps going backwards. And then if the horse is a particularly hot and sensitive and uh, a horse anticipates, then they'll say, okay, every time you get on, we're going to go backwards. Well, today we're going to side pass. Oh, we're so it does side need pass. to change up. Okay. That yeah, was my next I would change it up. Just, I, I would keep it from being, uh, going straight ahead. Um, you can even flex the horse side to side. And then I, then you could walk forward. That would be, that would be something that would be fine. Um, so okay. I just make it something a little different to just change it up, interrupt that, this kind of circular thought process that they have of, I know we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. So that's one thing I would do. The next thing I would Wait. do. Yes. No, that totally makes sense. I was just going to say that completely. percent makes sense. Yeah. And it's so simple. But it's just just one little habit you can start building. Um, the mm -hmm. next thing I would do is um, is called a serpentine, and this is one I picked up from Buck Branneman. Um, I actually learned it, uh, how to do a serpentine exercise from my first boss, which was very frantic, and he pull the horse left and right at a trot. It's not that at all. I, I finally learned a great way from, from Buck Branneman and he calls it an exorcism for the horse. And I totally believe it. It gets rid of all the demons. <laughs> um, 
So this is really good, especially on green horses that don't have a lot of body control yet. You know, maybe my two-year-old doesn't know how to side pass yet. Um, or, or, or do in my case, maybe my 10 year old doesn't know how to side. Pass yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's be exactly. inclusive here. Oh, my, <laughs> exactly. My nine year old, totally agree. Totally agree. So, so it's very simple. So this is a direct rein exercise. I'm either going to use one rein or the other. Eventually I'll use both, but for the sake of this, for what we're talking about, you're going to use one rein or the other. So all you're going to do is you're going to look left, go left, T- take a hold of the left rein, bend the horse to the left. Um, what I tend to do with my legs, I don't really um, dr- like drill my legs into them and try to lift that shoulder, get really complicated. All I do is my right leg, if I'm going to the left, my right leg's going to come forward, which will guide the horse's shoulder to the left. My left leg is going to fall back a little bit behind the horse's girth, which is going to encourage them to bend that rib cage around. And in the beginning, if your horse hasn't done a lot of bending, isn't very supple or is very green, they're going to kind of turn like a door. I don't get too worried about it. I'm not going to get obsessed with, oh, your rib cage isn't bent. I'm going to kick you harder with my inside leg. It will happen on its own. We're just going to go left. Okay. I would wait for a little bit of softness to occur. Whatever that horse can give, it might be they flick their ears slightly more to the left if they're very stiff or intense or nervous horse. And then I go to the right and then I go to the left and then I go to the right. And it's a very slow, even, calm exercise. If the horse picks up a trot and I didn't ask, I'm not going to pull straight back and say, oh, you shouldn't have trotted. I'm going to keep them in that serpentine. I'm going to relax my body and I'm just going to weave that serpentine a little tighter. The horse is going to realize trotting in that wiggly, snaky serpentine, man, that's a lot of work. I really have to engage myself. I'm going to break back down to a walk. Every so often, so I'll bend left and then right and then left and then right and then left all over the arena. If you're outside, um, I find little little landmarks to to turn around, like this pile of manure or this rock over here or this log over here. Or if I'm in a grove of trees, I'll serpentine around those trees all day long. And every so often when I feel the horses relaxed, they've lowered their pull, they're softening through their body, I can feel them soften in their mind, then I will allow them to walk forward out on a loose rein. And I'll allow them to walk out as long as I feel they're going to stay relaxed. If I feel them start, oh my God, picking up their head again and freaking out, we just go back into that serpentine. And depending on the horse and how, uh, how nervous they are, how much they need to relax. I might do that the whole hour. And it's an exercise that it's not going to tax your horse too much. It's so doable. I can do it on a colt that's had one ride. Um, And what you'll notice that starts to happen is the horse starts to, their head goes from being up, you know, their necks goes from being upside down and arched and tense. And they start lowering that pole. They start breaking over those withers, lifting their back, relaxing that top line. And I can get a saddle bread to put his nose in the dirt doing this exercise. And it's just slow. Yeah, it's the best thing. It's slow, repetitive work. I love it also because um, I use one rein stops uh, as my emergency stop if a horse is, uh, if I lose control of a horse or feel like I'm going to lose control of the horse. And so Mm -hmm. if I'm on a really nervous colt, I'm not sure what they're going to do. And I do the serpentine 
they're already halfway to a one rain stop. So let's say something blows up their butt and they decide to go into a bucking fit. Well, I've already got them in a bend. So I can just continue that bend, shut them down, wait till they relax, reset, and then go right back to my serpentine. Gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. So I would try that and, and definitely get back with me. Absolutely. I have lots of homework to do now. So this is Yay. Really awesome. That's great. I, we want video, Megan. Put it over there on the on the <laughs> HRN auditor's Facebook page. We want video. I'll just I'll just figure a way how to do that. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for being our guinea pig today, Megan. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. So that's very very interesting. And again, I. I was introduced to the serpentine in the same fashion you were in that it was frenetic and crazy and the horse got buggy-eyed and foamy-mouthed because it was, again, a tool that was being used completely improperly. So, yes. And once yeah. again, back to that, you know, it's it's not always the tool or the method or the program that is inherently bad. It's It's whoever's Whoever's at the steering wheel. Whoever's at the steering wheel. So if your horse is developing buggy eyes, foamy mouse, and flaming nostrils, you need to call Mary. Yeah, you know, and that's the best horse trading advice I've ever given is, you know, how do I know if I'm doing what I'm doing is right or wrong? You will know the next day. So there have been days when I was like, man, I am a god amongst horse trainers. That was amazing. I was so great. My horse was amazing. And then the next day, my horse was really nervous and upset. And I thought, well, whatever I did wasn't the right thing. The horse is going to tell you. And there, you know, um, so if, if I've done something right, the horse is always better the next day. Because they go and they think about it in their stalls or pastures overnight. They really soak in what you've taught them the day before. So you'll know you're on the right track if your horse is just a little bit better every day yeah, you get on yeah, it. Exactly. That whole letting them stew on it, even whether it's overnight or a week or whatever. But when you revisit whatever skill set that was, if they remember a lot of it, if they go back to it happily, you've gotten it right. But if you revisit that skill set and they're actually worse or they go back to the same spot you started with, uh, maybe revisiting the technique and the tools that you're using or call Mary, at, you know, get get some outside eyes, somebody stand on the ground and watch you do your thing. And maybe there's something going on in that process that you're completely unaware of that is blocking the progress. Oh, definitely with another set of eyes. And I tell you what, it's so frustrating because it's frustrating yet very enlightening. I'll be working on a horse on a problem for months and I'll think it's getting better and then it's not. And I'll go haul to a friend and, you know, who's, you know, a knowledgeable friend to ride. And I'm like, you know, man, I just can't get this to work. And it's, we've been doing this for six months. It's still not working. And my friend will be like, lift your inside rein an inch. And I do. And the horse is perfect. And they're like, yeah, that's. <laughs> I could see that was your problem. Like, oh my gosh. And it's not that they're that much better or that I'm that much worse. You, just you couldn't see your hand. Yep, exactly. <laughs> or maybe they had that exact same horse in their program two years ago and that's what they did and, and that's it worked. What they did. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the problems lots of us have with our horses is cinch and saddle fit. Dun, dun, dun. How's that for a segue? Well, Total right. Saddle Fit has created the shoulder relief cinch. And it improves the saddle fit and horse comfort because the center of the cinch sits on the horse's natural 
girth groove, while the sides are set back to attach to the latigos further back and prevent the saddle from being pulled into the shoulders. A bad thing. And the unique shape has special cutouts for elbow clearance, so everybody's happy. And it uses an interchangeable liner system, so one cinch can be used with either a limestone neoprene, that's the good kind, wool felt, or soft fuzzy wool fleece for easy cleaning and flexibility. So if you have one cinch from five horses, everyone can have a clean cinch all the time because they're sold separately or together. And... They have discovered now, and I just talked to Justin the other day at, from Total Saddle Fit, that the Total Saddle Fit cinch is his top-selling cinch at many, many uh, online retailers. And you can find out more at totalsaddlefit.com. Dun, dun, dun. And now, Excellent. yeah, I think it's time for a little break so that we can get a hold of our next guest. And how about a little Templeton Thompson? Sounds perfect. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side, my wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set where that green grass is. A good she gave me up and I fence Yeah, 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 yeah Cause I need somewhere to run Somewhere to rock Fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky I've sat up these dreams I'm holding on tight Need a good strong tall wind And a horse that can back and a lot on my mind yeah the weight of this world really gets me sometimes there's a freedom inside me i've been missing so much gonna kick the gates wide open and live a bigger cloud of dust yeah 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 i need somewhere to run somewhere to rock a fresh pair of Strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the horizon. Second star to the left, then straight on till morning. Somewhere to run, somewhere to run, a fresh pair. 
long stretch of sky out of these dreams Holding on tight Need a good strong tall wind And a horse that can They say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him. But a great rider can hear his horse whisper. The years he's given me. Nobility without conceit. Friendship without envy. Beauty without vanity. A loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper. And thank you to Horseware for being our title sponsor on today's show, as they are every second Thursday when Mary stops by to geek out on training. You can go to horseware.com and see the entire line of quality horseware horse clothing for every season. Okay, so we have with us uh, for our next guest is the Mustang Magic Champion for 2018, Kevin Graham. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. So that's got to be a pretty exciting win. Um, uh, you had uh, an opportunity to compete at the Mustang Magic, which is, it is an extreme Mustang makeover. Uh, but this one's a little bit different in that the it's invite only. So not just anyone can uh, apply. Uh, selected trainers get invites and uh, it's, it's the best of the best. It's one of the coolest events to go to. It's during the Fort Worth Stock Show in January. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what that process, uh, was like for you? Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's always exciting being at the stock show and just in that environment, um, with the rodeo going on, you know, you get the, you know, showcase the Mustangs around people that aren't generally around that environment. So, so- this is not your first Mustang makeover. You've done a few of these before. Uh, can you tell us a little bit um, about what drew you to do your first makeover? What's it, what is it about training Mustangs, especially for this event, that appeals to you? Uh, the first one I did, it was, you know, I just wanted to see if I could do it. 
you know, it was the, the challenge of it, you know, taking a horse that had never been around humans and, you know, gentling it and getting it, you know, to to ride and to trust you and to to be able to, you know, go on and be a, you know, productive member of the equine world. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your particular training style? Um, what what are your influences and um uh you know, pretty much what kind of style of riding do you do when you're not training Mustangs? Um yeah. Um, you know, I've I haven't been in round horses all that long. I've been riding about eight or nine years now. Um, so, you know, I've got a book on myself by everybody that's written one pretty much. And you know, they've just kind of evolved into, you know, what works for me. Um, primarily, I do more, um, like, uh, ranch riding competitions and starting to play around with a little bit of Western dressage. Oh, very cool. Um, when you do these Mustangs, uh, especially since you've done a few of them, do you have uh, do you have a specific strategy or training program for a Mustang? Uh, what's the first week look like when you pick up a Mustang and bring it home for the first time? Yeah, for the first week, um, you know, it's a lot of short sessions. You know, nothing, you know, there's no like four-hour sessions or anything going on. It's a lot of, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes at the most, you know, three or four times a day. Just, you know, trying to get them to understand that I'm not out to get them. I'm not, they're not in any danger, you know, anything, anything just to, to, to build the trust with them. And, you know, there's a million ways to get that first trust, that first touch on a horse. Um, some people will have the BLM halter the horse before they take it home. So they've got, you know, an, e- an easier way to get to the horse. Uh, I know a guy who will put the horse in a stall and he actually ties a glove to a stick and sticks it through the stall bars and touches the horse before he actually goes in there. Uh, I know some people who rope the horse. Some people use a bamboo pole. Uh, what is your favorite way to get that first touch on a Mustang? You know, I, I've tried just about every way you can do it. You know, you can get them haltered. You can get them haltered with a lead, and, you know, you can get them without anything. Um, I like to go ahead and get the halter on, but without without the lead rope, um, because i found that a lot of times you'll get them where they're wanting to come to you, wanting to hook on to you, and they'll step on the rope, and it kind of jars everything in their head. So it's almost like they're getting punished a little bit for coming towards you. So personally, I like to just get them haltered and you know i start them out in a 50 foot pin and i will go ahead and rope them just to have a physical connection once i get to that point and then after that it's you know a, a longer stick and then you know gradually working it down to shorter shorter distances till i can get my hand on them I agree with you on the halter lead rope. I, I did it on one horse and it wasn't a horse that I was able to get touched right away. And so in the meantime, she's dragging this lead rope and she's stepping on it the whole time. And so by the time I was able to get a hold of her and pick up the lead rope, she was so stiff in the head and neck because she was so used to that feeling uncomfortable anytime she felt the halter. And so she would just brace for it. So um, I totally agree with you about, about the lead rope. I mean, if you can get them touched right away and pick up that lead rope before anything else but it's just not always going to be that way um 
so so you get the horse you 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 work with the horse you're touching the horse everything's going good uh what are some of the things that you do what are some of the things on your checklist before you ride the horse for the first time i know there's things that i like to make sure the horse can do um obviously wear a saddle i want to make sure i can flap the stirrups before i get on and um you know just kind of a mental note that you go through and say okay he can do this and this and this and this he's ready to ride what are some of those things for you uh, uh when i get on in from the first time I go in there, my everything I'm doing is to set up that first ride. Um, I'm not, you know, some people won't get on unless they can, you know, pick feet up and crawl under them and all that. And, you know, that's, that's I'm not saying that's wrong, but something about riding these guys kind of gets, gets them quieter and trusting a lot faster. But, you know, I do every pretty much everything I can to get bucked off before I get on. So, you know, the saddle, you know, I'll, Put some boat fenders on the side Always of the saddle, <laughs> and uh, you know, once, once, you know, it, I've got a pretty firm rule of it. You know, I start colts for a living, but I've got a pretty firm rule of that. If I think they're going to buck, I don't get on them. So you know, you know, I'll do a lot of work with myself. You know, either on another horse up above them, or you know, up on the fence and having them come next to me, so they get to see me up above their head already. And, you know, yeah, I am also not a fan of the bucking. Um, I can't ride a buck to save my life. So I'm a groundwork nut myself. Um, And, you know, with I, I agree with you that getting sometimes getting on these Mustangs is is just what you have to do. So I'm I'm in the same boat in that I do a lot of prep and I I desensitize them to a lot of things and I teach them to give to the halter, wear the saddle, flex left and right, this, that, and the other, go forwards, backwards, all of that kind of stuff. And um sometimes I'm looking at a horse and I just know that the the actual ride is going to do so much more for them than anything else I'm doing on the ground. And and some of these horses um it's like once you get up there, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that that's what I thought you were going to do. And and then you're good to go. It's very interesting to see how some of the Mustangs are actually better from their back than they are from the ground. Right. Um, so yeah. this particular Mustang, this was the, the Mustang that won the magic. Um, did you know this horse was pretty special from the beginning? And how did this horse compare to the other ones that you've trained? Yeah, I told a friend of mine, I was actually, you know, he let me borrow his facility, you know, with his round pen and everything um, to for the first few few weeks. And, uh, you know, I remember telling him on day three that this guy was going to be a cool dude. And, you know, he just kind of kept progressing from there. But, yeah, I knew probably on the third or fourth day that, you know, he was, there was something different about him. Um, and- and what specifically about him stood out for you? Um, was it that he was talented or he was exceptionally calm? What were some of the things that he did that made you go, oh, my gosh, this is a really special horse? Uh, he reacted pretty normal, um, just like any other horse would. But there was something about him in the way that once you got through his first reaction, like he was automatically okay with it. You know, it, he was a little scared of the saddle at first, but the first time he had it on his bike, it was like saddling grandma's horse after that. And, you know, the first, 
the first ride he was pretty tense, but once once he got to loping around a little bit, you know, he just you know, he settled in he settled in a lot quicker than a lot of them I've had. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um I I see people that will kind of generalize the Mustang. Um, sometimes it's very negative. Oh, all Mustangs are very dangerous. Um, or all Mustangs do this. Or I've had someone tell me, oh, most Mustangs, once you get them trained, they're actually exceptionally calm. And I have found that um, there you get 10 Mustangs, you're going to have 10 different training experiences. And they're just as varied as uh, any horse breed out there. You know, I've gotten some that... Uh, reminded me more of an Andalusian and some that acted more like a really quiet quarter horse. Um, and so I've always found it interesting to learn more about the horses, especially where they come from. Um, do you know what HMA, uh, herd management area, your horse is from? He was actually from Centennial, California. Oh, that's one I've actually never heard of before. Um, I, I haven't heard of it either before this one, so. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I always like to find that ab- out about horses and then compare compare notes with other horses from the same area because you'll find that some of them kind of share very similar traits. Um, so uh, when you're training your horse for the makeover, um, for people who don't know, there's uh, all these compulsory rounds, uh, these preliminary rounds where you have to show that your horse is willing and capable and broke to do the things um, that he needs to do to be a good riding horse. So he's got a load in a trailer. You need to be able to pick up his feet, catch him in the open. He should pick up his leads, go forwards, go backwards, side pass. There's just a lot of things they throw at you. And then on top of that, if you make the finals, which is usually the top 10, you have to do a freestyle, which is, um, you know, almost no limits, whatever you want to show the judges in the audience to music. You have three and a half minutes and you've got to go and wow the crowd and you have to make it pretty memorable because when you go into finals, you have a clean slate. So you could be last place in, in the group of finalists and still win the makeover. So knowing all this and you've, you've got to have this freestyle, did you have something in mind from the beginning or did you plan it later on? Did you plan it at the event? Maybe you weren't expecting to make finals. How did that go for you? Well, um, you know, through the training process, after that first couple of weeks, you know, I just treat them like a normal horse. And, you know, you start riding, and you never let Mustang be an excuse for any kind of behavior. And you, you as you do that, you kind of learn what the horse is naturally gifted at. And mine just happened to be naturally talented at changing leads. So you kind of focus on that throughout your training, but you have to play, you know, you can't just train them like they're a reigning horse and you can't just train them for trail obstacles and you can't just, you have to vary your training to be able to, you know, show well in those other three classes. So we do that and, you know, just get a good all around broke horse. Um, so, you know, a lot of my training time goes towards the compulsory class, which is basically, you know, a very, very basic reigning pattern. Um, and, you know, after that, on the freestyle, I kind of, you know, you can use a lot of prompts, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't, he would do obstacles, but those weren't like his strong suit. So I, I stayed away from those for the most part in the freestyle and just did a, uh, 
kind of like a ranch pattern, a ranch hanging pattern, basically. And I think that's uh, that's a really solid way to go because at the end of the day, you know, this horse is going to get adopted into a new home and you have to be able to show that's the heart of this competition is is showing that these horses are capable, that they can be good for someone to own. You don't have to have a special skill set always to to have a Mustang and enjoy a Mustang. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's a really good strategy is playing to the horse's strengths. I've had some makeovers where my horse's special skill was standing still uh, so so you show that up you know you show that your horse is quiet and you can get on and off and and do a lot of things uh that maybe the more talented but less quiet horses uh would not be so good at so um that i you know speaking from experience that always goes through my mind as well um it's really cool to have a plan ahead of time, but at the end of the day, you got to do what your horse is, is going to be capable of showing. You want to show the audience what the horse can do, not what they can't do. Um, and so your horse found his way into a new home. Um, I'm assuming, uh, I assume you did not keep him. Um, I did, so, you know, I always said, oh, I'm sorry. I always I, said, you know, if I win it, I'm going to keep it. You know, that that was just kind of what I've, I've said throughout all of them I've done. But this particular horse just doesn't fit, didn't fit what I needed personally from a horse. You know, I need one that if I need to start a coat from it, I can work a coat from it. And if I want to go sorting one day and, you know, do Western dressage the next day, you know, that's just kind of what I need personally. So, you know, I would always be trying to force him into a box he didn't fit in if I kept him. So I decided to let him go. Yeah, I've I've had situations like that as well. Um, the horse that I had for the uh, the first road of the horse uh, wild card thing I did, he was an amazing horse, but I took him as far as I could get him, and uh, and in the at the end of the day, he just needed to go and be someone's one and only trail horse, and he's he's been wonderful at that. Um, do you know what kind of home your horse went into? What what are the new owners going to do with him? And have you heard from them uh, yet on how the horse is doing? Yeah, um, he's actually at uh, Hunwell Ranch out. He's actually going to be, he's in Nevada right now, but this summer he's going to their guest ranch. And he's actually a few hours away from where he's rounded up, but he's going to be a horse on a guest ranch. So they'll. Oh, uh, very cool. Use him for, you know, the guests to come in and ride. Very cool. So he's going to go be a dude ranch horse. He's going to be an ambassador. He's pretty much gonna be, yeah. He's, you know, and, and that they have, I think, 30 Mustangs. They've adopted several through through, through the uh, makeover program. So. And then, okay, I have one final question before we wrap this up, Kevin. Okay. Every year that Mary enters a Mustang makeover, Mary gets about one right. month out. And she's she's um, wringing her hands and gnashing her teeth. Why do I do this to myself? I'm never going to do it again. And then invariably, about 30 days before the next pickup for the next Mustang con- uh, makeover, she's she's making arrangements to travel to some far-reaching place in the equinosphere to pick up a Mustang. So for someone who has never done a Mustang makeover, what... What is it to you personally that makes you want to do it? 
you know, I, I go through the same thing. I think once you've done a few at some point during the training process, you always say, why do I do this to myself? But at the same time, you know, it's a lot of camaraderie between the Mustang trainers. And the, the time you have at the show is just, it's always full of friends and full of talking, you know, just overall camaraderie. And, you know, you get out there and you get, for me, it's the feeling in the stalls when they have like a meet and greet with the Mustang. Cause there are pe- always people coming through that have never, never touched a Mustang, never, you know, they see these Mustangs out in the wild and they think that they're always just that horse out in the wild. And you see, you know, they're walking through and there's people standing there with their horses, heads hanging out the stall, getting petted by people in wheelchairs. And you just see that realization come over their face that, you know, these, these are horses and these, they, they can be, you know, a family horse. And that, that's the part of it that always sticks with it. For me, when I leave is, you know, just the realization that comes with people being able to see them presented in this way. Very cool. I feel the exact same way. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, more about your training, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, Facebook's the best way. Um, just Kevin Graham. Just okay. Kevin Graham on Facebook. On Facebook. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, this year doing some makeovers. Um, but until then, uh, we will uh, we'll wrap things up. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And that was really great. Very insightful. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. And, and thanks for encouraging lots more people to do the same thing Mary does. Gnash their hands. Re- <laughs> you have a good one. Exactly. Yeah, it, 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 it's all part of it. All right, that was a fascinating conversation to see his point of view and how good training is good training is good training the, when the tools are used properly and um, thoughtfully. Very interesting. I always like to hear uh, different approaches. We've had uh, we've had the gal on who does the bamboo pull jingling method with horses. I'm trying a new one now. Uh, program out of Australia. Probably talk about that on another show. Oh boy! Um, yeah, teaser. Teaser. There's a million ways to do it. Million ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Anyway, but again, the the commonality being that the human is fully engaged. And it's a process where the horse can have construction learning, constructive learning, and then that can be moved forward to another human being. Because so often when you're training a horse, it's not, you're not training the horse just for you. You're, you know, the, some, some, somebody has been posting a, a meme on Facebook recently that the greatest gift you can give your horse is good training. Yep. Yep, that's a that's a really good one. I like and it. Speaking of good training, we've got time for a listener question, and we had lots and lots of great questions. We always have more questions than we have time for uh, from the HRN Auditors Facebook page. And if you're not an HRN Auditor, you need to go to horseradionetwork.com and look for the Become an Auditor banner and click on that. And for as little as a dollar a month, or lots more if you want to, uh, you can become an auditor, help support Horse Radio Network programming, and get to be in the super secret and ultra fun Horse Radio Network Auditor's Facebook page. And with that, what question are you going to answer, Mary? 
Oh man. So there's two really good ones. I would love to answer both. Um, we will, uh, we'll get to Carly's question, um, about biting, how to keep a pony from biting without slapping his muzzle. Um, but who is not food motivated in the slightest? He's a terrible clicker candidate. Oh, challenge accepted. Uh, he gets bored quickly. Border is feeding him carrots, to which I have kindly told him no more. He still feeds because my pony is neglected. <laughs> um, poor pony. Poor pony. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very curious to this one because... Scooter is a a uh, serial biter too. So so uh, tell me tell me see what happens. Okay. Here. So first I will go with um the wrong way and I think it's important to point this out and why it's wrong. So slapping the horse on the on the muzzle um or or whacking the horse or jerking on the the lead rope um why I don't do it that way. It's not it's not as simple as oh that's horribly cruel that you would lay a hand on your precious neglected pony it's not really about that it's just that i haven't found it to be very effective so slapping the horse is if we're talking in science geek clicker training terms um would be something i would call positive punishment so when i say positive positive or negative punishment positive or negative reinforcement i'm not meaning good or bad i'm meaning you're going to add something you're going to take away so positive punishment is you're trying to get a behavior to stop the horse is biting you. you're going to add something you're going to add pressure to that horse every time he bites you in hopes to make him stop this is the least predictable form of training when we're talking in terms of punishment or reinforcement sometimes it works a lot of times it doesn't you don't know uh, what kind of result you're going to get um, the result that I've gotten the most in my life doing this is when you have a horse that nips or bites at you and then you whack him in the face um, either he'll just kind of learn to accept it and say ah that didn't hurt you know you're gonna have to hit me harder next time uh, or the horse is going to learn to play this game of you. I see this uh, with you. I see this in a lot of studs. So they know that when they bite, you're going to hit them. And so, but they still want to bite you. So they will decide, okay, I'm going to see how quickly I can swipe my owner and bite her and then throw my head back before she hits me. That's what he would and do remember, to another horse. He just wants to engage in play. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And remember, horses are faster in reaction time than cats. Really? So they're definitely faster than you. Didn't know. I, it feels right. It feels right. I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But they're, they're prey animals. They're incredibly lightly and quick. What is known as they are faster than us in reacting. So by the time you go ouch and take a backswing to lay one on your horse, he's already out of the way. And that game is just going to keep escalating and escalating. And if you're not careful, it can turn into outright dangerous, aggressive behavior. I see this more in studs than in naughty pony geldings. Um, in fact, uh, Raining Bar and I was in, we got this stud in for training. Big, old, jatly, nicely bred buckskin stallion. And he was sticking his head out of the stall and I'm walking through doing the chores for that evening. And I... I do something that not a lot of people did in that barn. I go to pet him because I like to pet the horses. Um, <laughs> and I raise my hand to pet him on the forehead. And he does this weird thing I'd never seen a horse do. Uh, do. He didn't shy away. 
he did this bobble-headed thing. His head just kind of jiggled back and forth and back and forth, left and right and left and right, and he kind of closed his eyes. And I knew from that, I'm like, you have been hit really bad um, because that horse was so had I can tell he'd been whacked on so much that he would react to a hand being raised to him, but he wouldn't shy away. So he was just so used to it. He's like, just go ahead and hit me and get it over with. Um, <laughs> so, Funny, but sad. Yeah, it was, uh, it just kind of broke my heart a little bit. So um, if it worked, I would say, yeah, give him a good whack in the jaw. Um, and I will, there's a difference between that. And if I'm holding a horse and he goes to bite me. I will have an elbow spasm. So it's not a, I'm going to lay back and hit you after the fact. When when you come at me with your mouth open, you are going to run into my elbow. And he's going to go, oh, dang it. That didn't feel good. I should not do that again. Your timing has to be incredibly precise on that. You're so, blocking the, the, the teeth more than, yes. yeah. Okay. And that Thanks. is an yeah. in the moment, I am going to get bit if something doesn't happen thing. Um, so let's get to back to what we would actually do. So he's taking carrots from a border. Um, I would say if he is taking these carrots and enjoying these carrots, he is food motivated. Um, I have found I can get just about any horse to work for food, even if he doesn't seem food motivated at first. So if this was me, and this is a little bit of a different way to do this, I'll give you a couple of options. But one of the things I would do is I would use those carrots um, to my advantage. So if he's taking carrots from someone and he likes those carrots, and I think he does like them as he as if that's causing the biting behavior, then he's clearly asking for more carrots. He just doesn't know the correct way to ask. So what I would do is I'd get some of those carrots or some food you know he will eat, whether it's a ration of his daily grain um, or a cookie or whatever. I like to do this uh, exercise preferably um, with the with a barrier between me and the horse so I don't have to try and shove him off of me if he gets too close. So like if he can stick his head out the stall door, that's perfect or stall guard or or over a fence uh, is fine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have those carrots and I'm going to stand next to the horse and uh, probably just out of biting range. And I'm going to wait for something that I can reward. Um, I usually I use this with my clicker horses, so I will click, but you don't necessarily have to click. He will not get a carrot until he's calm and relaxed. And I will use the carrots to show him when you stop trying to bite me and you calm down, you get food. Um, so that is one thing I would do. And I found that to be incredibly effective because you're using the thing the horse gets really excited over and you're teaching him, okay, see that thing you're doing, that antsy, excited, trying to bite me, push me, get in my pockets behavior, that gets nothing. I ignore that behavior. And if you have a barrier between you and your horse, you can safely ignore it um, because I can always take a step away if they get too crazy. Um, I actually did this with a Welsh pony stallion and it worked really well because he had also been fed too many treats. He'd gotten really bitey and nippy. And I'd just been five minutes at a time just I would stand next to him in a quiet, neutral position, and I would wait for him to give me something that I could reward. So it might have been turning his head away. It might have been just stop biting me for a second um, or just any kind of look of pleasantness or relaxation. Whatever you think, it looks great. 
you can reward that. Um, that is actually a very effective way. The other thing I would do, let's say you just don't feel comfortable with the carrots. Uh, you, you don't, you want to stay away from food. You're not into clicker training, positive reinforcement. Not a problem. Um, the other thing I would do is I give the horse something else to do other than biting. So if he goes to bite me, um, I might yield his hindquarters, uh, ask him to yield his hindquarters pretty rapidly. I don't do it in a way of I'm trying to scare you or punish you, but I'm going to make you work. And then when he quiets down, I quiet down. If he tries to bite again, um, I might lend you in a small circle around me, um, two or three or four circles. And then when he settles down and shows a better attitude than I settle down. So that's typically what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace bad behavior with something else. Give the horse another something job to do. Yeah. 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 Something to focus on. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it usually will be something pretty energetic. So the horse is like, oh my gosh, she's making me go now. Okay. I got to stop biting and I have to do this thing that she asked me to do. So that tends to work much better than whacking them on the nose yeah. because those especially playful horses, it yeah. can go from this, I'm playing with you, you're nipping me, I'm nipping you, yep. to, okay, now I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. And you've hit badly. me so many times. Yeah. yeah and you've badly. hit me so many times, I'm used to it and nothing's going to stop me now. Yeah. And Scooter is a stress biter. Whenever he's freaked out about something or stressed about something, he, he, he quote, nips. But this little bugger nips with a vengeance. Um, and we have used all of the techniques above to get this under control. So you can, you don't have to stick with just one. You can use all the different techniques to help your horse uh, get over that kind of behavior. I could go on for another hour about how yeah. we have dealt with this problem with this little pony since we got him. But I, we, I will not because we are fresh out of time. Uh, for folks who want to go, Mary, I need more help. Where can they find you online? Uh, I, you can go to my website, marykitzmiller.com. That's got all my contact information. You can also hit me up on Facebook under Mary Kitz Miller Horsemanship. There we go. And find links to today's guests on the show at horsesinthemorning.com. If you haven't followed us on Facebook already, you need to. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Horse Radio. Don't miss a single episode. You can, uh, you can have them all with you in your phone by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or Android. Go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it today. It's free. You can also subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. And thanks again to Horsewear and Total Saddle Fit for sponsoring today's show. We'll see you in another month, eh? All right. Sounds good. 